So when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I decided I was going to let my hair grow out. And uh, I told my friends about it, and naturally one of them, being a Marine, said, I bet you won't grow out a mullet. And I did. I said, I bet you I will. And so that's what we did. I grew out a mullet, and at first it was like, why am I doing this? But as time went on and my hair started getting longer, uh, I started getting more excited for it. And by the time I cut it, I was like ecstatic. Like I was telling everybody, guess what? I'm going to have a mullet, and you don't. And just in time for the 4th of July and everything that mullets stand for, I cut my hair on July 3rd. Um, and on the 4th of July, it was a great day. I went out in these sweet cut-off jean shorts and this red tie-dye sleeveless ACDC shirt. And I had my mullet my combat boots. It was a great day. It was beautiful. Um, a few weeks later, though, I came to a dilemma. Uh, prior to the mullet, I had applied for a dream position of mine in, with a federal law enforcement agency. And um, a few weeks after I had my mullet, the Secret Service emailed me and they said, hey, we want you to come test for a position with us. And I was like, oh, i got to cut my mullet. <laughs> and it was like, it was, it was dreadful. It was like, this is awesome, but I can't show up to anything with the Secret Service with a mullet. <laughs> They're going to be sitting there listening, not listening to anything I have to say. Yeah, yeah sure, that's, what, that's right. So... Um, you know, a lot of people said that Josh got smart or Josh finally realized that he shouldn't have a mullet. Not the case. Um, I would have kept that sucker forever if I could have. The reality and the fact of the matter is, is that I cut it because that's what I was supposed to do. That's what, I, that's what was expected of me. In American society today, we have this idea of the American dream. And when you look up what that is and you look up the definition, definition excuse me, uh, it states that the ideal that every U.S. citizen should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. Now, this idea was introduced back in 1931 by James Truslow Adams in his Epic of America that he wrote. And words, the American dream is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. Now that was 86 years ago. Today it's changed quite a bit. Uh, when you look up the definition of the American dream for today, it says it's being able to graduate from college with minimal debt secure a job in your field that has benefits, be able to afford health care costs while saving for retirement and paying down loans, still live a comfortable life. And while the American dream still exists, it's taken on a new form. And somewhere in the past 86 years, we got this idea of white picket fences and big, nice houses, fancy cars, and one of the definitions that I found said a spouse and two and a half kids. I don't know where the half comes from, but if you could figure out how to have half kid, I guess you're living the life. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, the dream is just, has always been, no matter how much it's changed, it's all 
crystallized uh, around the idea that we pursue best. I'm going to put it in my front pocket. We should be pursuing what is best for our lives. And we, we should be concerned with making sure that we're living the best life that we can. So now that we've established what the American dream is and what it's about, let's talk about why we as Christians should pay it no mind and avoid the pursuit. Jesus had 12 disciples, and they came from all walks of life. Um, a good portion of them were fishermen, but they all sacrificed everything that they had to follow Jesus. They gave up everything that they had. They gave up their livelihoods, and they said, hey, I'm going to follow that man. Uh, and lots of people tried following Jesus and didn't make the cut. In Luke 9, 57 to 62, there were three men that tried following Jesus. The first one came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be about what you're about. And Jesus said, okay, great. Here's the thing. You're going to be homeless. You're not going to have a place to put your head. You're going to sleep on the rocks. It's going to be cold. It's not comfortable. You're not going to have a home. The man said, uh, better not. The next man came up to him and said, Jesus, I'm ready. I want to follow you, but let me go home real quick. My father just passed away. I need to bury him. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. Essentially saying, you don't need to bury the man. We're leaving now. And if you're coming, you're coming. You're not going home to bury your father. So the man left. And the third man was just as excited as the other two. He said, hey, Jesus, I'm here. I'm ready to follow you. Let me go home and tell my family that I'm leaving. And Jesus said, no. Jesus said, we're leaving right now. You don't get to go home and tell your family. They're going to have to wonder where you're at, and you ain't never coming back. So that man said, no. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And in just a few verses later, he emphasizes on it in Luke 14, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. See, the driving factor of the American dream is materialistic in nature, and it's built around financial prosperity and consumerism. The American dream is just a want. It's a desire. It's not a necessity. And it's not in God's plans for us at all. In Ephesians 2.10, uh, we're going we're to be bouncing around a little bit today. If you have your Bibles, that's great. Um, we also, you can use your um, Restore app or the Bible app on your phone. Um, there will be some scripture on the screen. Unfortunately, we are out of Bibles, which is a great thing because it means people are taking them, and hopefully they're using them. Um, they're not just taking them, but um, we will hopefully have more Bibles for you next week, but today we don't have any to hand out, and I apologize for that. Um, but in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. 
Now, this verse speaks volumes to me, and it tells me that what we should be doing as Christians is what he planned, not what we have planned. And God loves us. God wants the best for us. But God knows that what's best for us isn't here. What's best for us is heaven. It's all in heaven. And we're not going to get there by our own means. We're going to have to trust in God. We're going to have to trust in his word and trust that he knows the plan for us because he does. Everybody knows it, as I'm sure most of you have heard, for I know the plans that I have for you. I'm going to give you two important acts of faith today that will help you follow God's plan. Um, Before I give you those, I'm going to give you a tool that you can do it with. The first thing we're going to talk about is using God's gifts. Everybody's got a gift. I know there are some people in this room, everybody's probably heard somebody say it, and some of you have probably said it, I don't have a talent. That's false. I'm going to tell you about a man that I saw one day. I was probably seven or eight years old, and there was this convention in town, um, Christian convention. I went. It was all for children. This man rode around on a unicycle for 30 minutes talking about Jesus Christ because he knew a unicycle was going to get the attention of a bunch of seven- and eight-year-olds. The man had a 12-foot unicycle. He got up on the balcony in the auditorium just to get on his unicycle. I don't know who does that, but I remember it, and I remember he talked about Jesus. So if you can unicycle, there's something for you out there. Everybody's got a talent. Don't sit there and say, hey, I ain't got nothing. If you can talk to people, talk to people. If you can worship, worship. Everybody's got a talent. You just have to reach down and you have to use it for what God has planned for you. We're going to talk about Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11 real quick. Now, the backstory here is that God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he's ready to have his tabernacle built. And he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all the things I've commanded you to make. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded you. You see, God, God ensures that his work is going to be done to his liking, and it's going to be done perfect. 
by instilling these gifts in Bezalel and Oholiab. And he gifts them with these skills so they can serve him and only him. There are people all over the Bible with gifts, and they use them in various manners. You've got Samson and his strength. You've got Joseph and his dreams. Joseph, his life was going downhill fast. His brother sold him into slavery. And while things were starting to look up a little while after he got sold into slavery, he ended up in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And he used his gift of interpreting dreams to get out of that. And he, he, he introduced people to God using that gift throughout the country. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 5 through 6, it says, There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. You see, God is all that matters. It doesn't matter what's in us because we're all different. Everybody's got different gifts. What matters is that we utilize what's in us in order to follow God's plan. So the first of these acts of faith that I'm going to talk about today is serving one another. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I've always found it interesting um, throughout my life, the different translations of words in the Bible. And the word that's used for servant here in this passage is the Greek word diakoneo, which is where we get the term deacon from. And it means to be a servant of, to serve, wait upon, or minister to. A couple months ago, I did a backstage sermon um, here at Restore before service. And uh, on my way, I actually spoke about serving others. And on my way to, to church that morning, um, I stop at Dunkin' Donuts religiously throughout the week. Uh, sweet tea is, their sweet tea is perfect. Um, but Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, when I'm driving, I'm on my way here, I stop at the, the, the Swansboro Dunkin' Donuts, and I get a sweet tea. Doesn't matter what the day is. If I'm driving to Jacksonville, I'm getting a sweet tea. Normally on Sunday mornings at 6.30 in the morning, I am the only person in Dunkin' Donuts because who gets up and goes to Dunkin' Donuts at 6.30 on a Sunday morning? Me. That's it. Nobody else does. This, mo- this particular morning, though, right as I was getting ready to talk about serving others, I walked in, and there were two elderly gentlemen in there. And one of them was sitting down by the window, and the other one was at the counter getting ready to pay. And I see him start struggling. He's in his back pocket like this, and, and he can't get his wallet out. And I was like, I don't know if I should say something, if I should offer to help. That might be a little weird. So he turns around. He goes, hey, Frank, come here. I can't get my wallet out of my pocket. So Frank, the guy next to the window, gets up immediately, doesn't, you know, he starts chuckling a little bit. He goes, oh, it's okay, man. I got pants like that too. Let me help you. Can you imagine? This might seem trivial to you, but Frank got up without hesitation to help his friend, to serve his friend when his friend needed him. 
Can you imagine if everybody in this room left today and treated people that you didn't know with that same kind of service? Now, I'm not talking about going around sticking your hands down people's pockets because that could get you into some trouble. <laughs> but just think about the impact that y'all could have, that we could have on Jacksonville, just the community of Jacksonville, if we left today and treated everybody with that type of service. Jesus calls us to be servants to others. And all over the Bible, there's examples. Mark 9.35, it says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, we should, be, we should be excited to serve others. That should be the highlight of our day is serving somebody, doing something for somebody that we don't know. That same morning that I did, that I met Frank and his friends, um, I did the backstage sermon. I got to talk about Frank. When I was writing up my notes for that backstage sermon the week leading up, I got done with all my notes, and I went back and looked over them all. And there was one line that I had written down it was supposed to be, we should serve others with an open heart. But when I went back through my notes, I got down to it, and for some reason I had written, we should serve others with a broken heart. And I started thinking about it. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But then I really started thinking about it. And I read over it once, twice, three times. And I just kept reading it. And finally, it hit me that we should be serving others with a broken heart. Broken for them that they might come to know Jesus. Because when you serve somebody and your heart's broken for them, you're giving them all the love that you can muster. Because you just want them to feel the love that you feel. Which brings me to our second act of faith today, which is love one another. And they really go hand in hand. It's, sometimes it's hard to do one without the other. But we should be loving others so radically that they wonder why. In John 13, 34, and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I stayed in North Carolina after I got out of the Marine Corps um, because of the love that was shown to me while I was here. I went to Two Rivers Church up in New Bern, and it changed my life. Those people love endlessly. And then... When I came to Jacksonville to restore, I saw the same kind of love. You guys do such an awesome job at loving people. It's amazing. I mean, our mission statement here is relentlessly love God, recklessly love people, and radically love the world. And when people walk through that door on Sunday mornings and somebody's there to say, welcome home, lots of those people don't have a home. They don't know where home is. And they come through those doors and you say that, and they feel loved. And it's amazing the changes that have gone on since I've been here, let alone before I came here, the changes that I've seen in people's lives just because we come together and we love them. And we love the community of Jacksonville in such a way that it is astounding 
Y'all thought I was going to leave you hanging with that whole Secret Service story, huh? It's about two days after I got the email from the Secret Service. Roger called me, and he said, uh, hey, I want you to pray about coming to Restore to be the worship leader. And I was like, oh, sweet. Okay. I started praying, and I finally, you know, I sat down with him, and I told him, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Mind you, this was before I cut my mullet, so he was really a little upset when I came to restore and I didn't have a mullet anymore. Um, but I told him yes, and I was like, I'm, I'm excited, but you need to know that this has potential to just be a temporary thing. You know, I got this job offer, and it's, this is my dream job. You know, if they throw it at me, I'm taking it. I'm, I'm running with it. I'm not looking back. So I went and took my test, and I passed. And they were like, hey, come back for an interview. So I went and did the interview. They liked me. They threw me a job offer. Said, hey, we want to move forward with the hiring process. Fill out this paperwork. I started praying. I started praying real hard. And I told them no. You see, God had different plans for me. Um, you know, and, I, and he, he, he showed me, as I prayed to him, he, he showed me that Jacksonville is where I needed to be. I spent five years in the Marine Corps avoiding Jacksonville, North Carolina, like it was the plague. <laughs> and, you know, not to compare myself to Jonah, because that's one heck of a man, but I said I wasn't going to go somewhere, and God was like, mm, think about that again. And here I am. And I always said I was never going to pursue a path or a career in music. And here I am every Sunday leading worship. You see, Roger and Aaron and Corey and Kendra and Rachel and Tanner, the people that started Restore, they started down this path that God had set aside for Jacksonville a few months ago. And, you know, they may have started on God's path months or years before they came to Jacksonville. But when they uprooted their lives and came to Jacksonville, they were definitely on God's path. And it's odd because I always knew that I was going to go into law enforcement one day. I was positive that I was going to do it. I didn't know if it was going to be state, local, federal, but I knew that I was going to go into law enforcement. And that was my American dream. But you know, after realizing that God didn't want me there and that he wanted me here, I started realizing that deep down, this is my dream. My dream and God's plan started lining up when I started following God's plan. And they started overlapping to the point that I didn't know which was which anymore. Because when you find out what God's plan is for your life and you start following it, that's when you realize that's, that's all you want in life. Because he knows what's best for you, and we all want what's best for us. I mean, you can't sit there and say you don't want what's best for you. But when you start following his plan and you're like, okay, God's, God's got this whole thing figured out, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And, you know, he could come back today, and he could come back tomorrow, 
and he could come back in a thousand years. We don't know when God's coming back, but we don't have time to be chasing our own dreams. While Christians here in America are busy following our own plan, there are Christians around the world dying for God's. Right now, over 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions, and Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors. And each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith, 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed, and 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians. Those people are living out God's plan, and they're being persecuted and killed for it. And we're sitting here chasing a dream that has nothing to do with our faith. The hardest part about staying here and declining the job offer from the Secret Service is the fact that there are other Christians that tell me I'm crazy. There are other Christians that have said to me, man, I can't believe that you decided to stay in Jacksonville, North Carolina to be a worship leader instead of taking a job with the Secret Service. And I'll tell you what, that hurts. That hurts a lot. Because as Christians, we should always be excited when somebody decides to follow God's plan. And I'm going to read this last part right here. I'm going to read it word for word as I wrote it because I think it's crucial that you guys, if you don't take anything else away from my sermon today, you take this. We're not here on this earth for our own gain. By giving your life to Christ, you're acknowledging that this life isn't about us. Christianity isn't about us. Christianity is about God, it's about Jesus, and it's about the people outside these walls that don't know what true, real, unadulterated, and selfless love is. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to put your dream aside and follow God's plan, but I tell you, it's going to be so worth it. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to come here and learn about you, worship you, and fellowship, and grow closer together. And Lord, I just pray that everybody in here reaches down and they find their gift and they use it for you, Lord. And I pray that everybody starts following your plan and that we can push aside our own dreams for pursuit of you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.